Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. What is up, my friend? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. We are on episode 95. We are closing in on the... 100 mark. Yeah, the century mark is where we are We are rapidly approaching. Today, we got a great guest for you. Before we get into uh, that conversation, let me quickly remind you, if you haven't already, we are just a couple of days away. At the time of this recording, the time you're listening to this, we are just a couple of days away from the Speaker Lab Summit's going to be happening, where we have gathered over 40 of the best speakers on the planet to share some of the, their best strategies, tactics about how they have built and grown their speaking business. So we have talked with people like uh, like Ken Davis and Michael and Amy Port and Jeff Goins, John Lee Dumas, uh, Pat Flynn, Dan Miller, Chris Ducker, Chris Brogan, Andy Andrews. Like literally just a, some top notch speakers. So what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to pick up your free ticket. You can literally listen to all 40 plus of these interviews for free by going over to thespeakerlabsummit.com. Again, that is thespeakerlabsummit.com and register for your free pass. And I'll tell you, you're going to want to do that pretty quick, assuming you're listening to this pretty quick, uh, pretty close to, to when this release, uh, because we will be running the summit from September 11th through the 23rd, September 11th through the 23rd. And the videos will be streaming for free each day, just for a couple of days. So you've got a limited window there where you can watch those. So make sure that you, again, pick up your free ticket by going over to thespeakerlabsummit.com. Now, again, because this is a virtual summit, you don't have to travel. You don't have to go anywhere. You can stay home and watch the interviews uh, that you want, the interviews that you're most interested in based on the, the topics or who the guest is. And uh, again, you can do that from the comfort of your home and do that for free. So make sure that you pick up your Summit Pass. All right. So today we're going to be talking with my friend, Jenny Blake. Jenny is a, a speaker who does a, a lot of speaking. But then Jenny is also someone who uh, has a new book coming out uh, about pivoting in your career. And so we have a great conversation of, of how she's made some pivots and then how you can actually make pivots from, let's say right now, let's say you're, you're working uh, a nine to five job, but you have this dream, this desire to be a speaker. And you're trying to figure out how do I go from this day job to this, this dream job of being a speaker? How do you make that pivot? And so we talked through that whole conversation with Jenny, how you can uh, very practically and uh, tangibly make a transition like that. And thinking some of those things through. So we get into that in depth. So uh, let's not wait any longer, my friends. Let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with author, speaker, and uh, awesome gal, Jenny Blake. Enjoy. Hey there, my friends. Grant Baldwin here. Hey, today I'm joined by my friend, Jenny Blake, who is a speaker, author, entrepreneur, all around cool girl. She's got a new book coming out. We're going to be talking to today. Jenny, how are you? 
I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Grant. Good to have you here. So first of all, let's talk about what does your business look like? What is it that you do? And then how does speaking fit into that? Because I know you do a decent amount of speaking and speaking has kind of played, I think a couple different parts in your business over the years. So like kind of walk us through that, that story and what it looks like now. Sure. I am a solopreneur living in New York City. I was formerly at Google doing coaching and career development and internal training. So I was there for five years. When my first book, Life After College, came out, I decided now or never to give this thing a go, move to New York, try and start my own business. And so it's been five years now of running multiple streams of income, as the recommendation goes. Speaking is my love. That's the thing that I really enjoy so much. And yet everyone listening to this podcast knows it can sometimes be the most sporadic or feel random. I know, Grant, you give a ton of tips and strategies to have that not be the case. But in order to kind of bolster my business in between speaking, I also do individual career coaching. And then I run some online courses and programs. And then I'm just now launching my second book, Pivot. So there will be book income, but that tends to be sporadic as well. But every now and then there'll be pops of royalties or things like that. Right. So just kind of a hodgepodge of stuff to, to make things work. So the, the speaking that you have been doing, and I know that that's getting ready to pivot right now, uh, but what kind of speaking have you done in the past? What kind of audiences? What do you speak about? What does that kind of look like? Well, part of the reason I took the Google job was because when I would speak in front of other people, I got red hives all over my chest and neck. And in fact, one of my first managers at Google told me that was his feedback for me after I had to give a presentation to managers and directors. And he said, I just want to give you some feedback. (laughs) You turned bright red and you got red on your chest and neck. And his suggestion for me was maybe to wear turtlenecks. So Grant, (laughs) I wore turtlenecks for the next five years. Five years? Are you serious? Every time I would have an important talk or presentation, I would wear either a turtleneck or something that would cover me all the way up to my neckline. And then I started to research physiology. So the reason I sort of went on a tangent, but the reason I'm saying this is that I've always wanted to be an author and a speaker. And part of the reason I took the job at Google on the training team was immersion therapy. And I thought, this is going to help me fix my nerves. And it did. I eventually, I trained over a thousand people. I was in front of a room every day. Then when, as I was leaving Google, how do you make that transition from internal corporate trainer? Okay, great. Now I had the front of the room skills, but how, what am I going to talk about when I leave this place? And is anybody going to want to hear from me if I'm not a Googler? And that, that for so long had been why anyone ever reached out to me. So the funny, the way that I landed on my first keynote topic was this dream I had to get on the Today Show, which didn't transpire then, maybe it will for this next book. But I asked myself, what nugget is going to land me on the Today Show? What is some counterintuitive break from the status quo topic that something like the Today Show would be interested in? What do I have to say that's different where I can take a stand on something current? And the metaphor that came to me was we need to think of our career like a smartphone, not a ladder. And I love technology. I grew up in Silicon Valley. I had no idea that that little kind of today show pitch would become my keynote speech for the next three years. My book is called Life After College, but this speech is the one that earned me 50% of my income for the next three years. What is, okay, so I'm curious, the difference between cell phone and ladder? Those are two totally different objects. So what, you gotta gotta tell us now. 
we think of our career in the traditional, it used to be, we think of it like a ladder. I would say this was a little more innovative five years ago, because now it's obvious to all of us that the career and business landscape is changing all the time. But at that time I was saying, listen, we have to stop approaching our careers in this linear manner where we feel pressure and burnout. And instead your education and your upbringing is like your smartphone. And it's up to you to download apps for skills, experiences, and interests that you have. And those apps can be small side projects. They don't all have to be. So for everyone listening to this show, yes, maybe speaking is your full-time career, but maybe it's one app as it was for my business for so long. Maybe it's one app that you're honing and refining. And so that speech and just having that one, I think a lot of speakers feel like they need to have 10 keynote options, but actually that one I got really good at delivering it. I refined it over the years. People kept being interested in it. And then now I am pivoting, as you said, and my, now my speech is around the book and pivot, which is the subtitle is the only move that matters is your next one. And actually it still builds from my last keynote, but this one, you know, I'm excited about it has a bunch of new ideas. And so we'll see how that goes. I mean, I think it is helpful when you can have thought leadership like a book come out because it then signals hey, you can also hire me for this next topic. Right, gotcha. So whenever you were doing, when you had the Life After College book, were you speaking mostly to college students or to young professionals? Or, or where like where were you finding gigs? Because it's one thing to be like, this topic or this idea would be cool on the Today Show. It's another thing to actually get books. So what did that look like for you early on? The funny thing, I got rejected twice by a speaking bureau called Campus Speak. Uh And I remember pulling my hair out, like, how could I possibly be any more relevant to what you say that you're doing? My book is called Life After College, and you're telling me no one's going to hire me, colleges and universities. What I soon came to realize was actually it was companies that not just were most willing to hire me, companies and conferences. Conferences, it's hit or miss 50-50, whether they're going to pay or not, or if it's just for, quote, exposure. Uh, But then companies were interested in helping people think about their careers differently. And then also sometimes I would come in and talk to earlier career, so kind of like new hires. But for the most part, it was companies that really paid the bills, I would say, as far as my main set of clients. And so I did less. The universities I found had less budget than the companies, but I definitely know speakers who are on the college circuit all year round and kill it. They do so well and they find ways to systematize reaching out to, let's say the Greek system, and then Mm -hmm. speaking from that one national point of contact, lining up dozens of gigs from that. That was just not something I tend to be more reactive. Like I kind of wait for gigs to come to me (laughs) rather than systematizing. And I focus my effort on the thought leadership piece, but that just fits my personality. Right. Okay. So even some of the the companies and corporations that you're speaking to on the subject of life after college, and I assume like helping millennials transition into the workforce, how are you finding those gigs? Was it more just word of mouth or just sit back and wait for the phone to ring or what what did that look like? I know it's passive, sit back and wait. But what I found is, I don't know if you found the same thing. I'd be curious to know, but proactively trying to pitch myself to speak, people are very much like less likely to say yes, because you just feel like, who is this person? Whereas if I focused on putting out interesting ideas and helpful templates and doing webinars and uh, not, I mean, I don't do a ton of webinars even, but having the book and then 
real for me focusing on the blog and putting ideas out there in my newsletter the funny thing was many readers who read life after college when it first came out in 2011 in the next few years started to become managers and they were in the position to then hire me to come into their organization or to their conference so in that way the seeds that i planted with the book continued to sprout sometimes years later and so that's been my strategy, which yes, is, is more indirect about kind of putting my ideas out there consistently and then letting the interest come in. Were you doing anything even within the newsletters, the webinars, the, the blog posts, anything just to communicate, Hey, I'm a speaker. You could hire me. Here's what I would talk about. Cause like in some ways we almost, we have to connect the dots even yes. if we're putting out a ton of content, we have to connect the dots of, oh, by the way, this is something that I do or could do for you. And yes. here's how this could benefit you or your, you know, your employees or your company or your audience or whatever. So what, like, what did that look like? I always made a point to share in my newsletters and on the blog, oh, I'm speaking here this week. I'm doing this. Or I would write, I, I did the speak like a pro virtual conference for where I interviewed 25 experts. And so I made a point to talk about speaking as well and incorporate it into what I was doing. And then I think it's critical to have a clear speaking page and call to action on the website. I know this sounds so obvious, but that was one of the things I did in the beginning. You know, you mentioned earlier, how do we make this transition from nothing to earning a living from speaking? And so for me, even before gigs were coming in, it was to act as if. And I'm sure you've, you've talked about this a lot, but putting up a speaking page, having clearly at least two keynote topics outlined, having testimonials, having a speaking reel. My first speaking reel was a bunch of empty rooms wearing a bunch of different shirts. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And I, you know, well, here's what's it funny. Was, okay. Cause I've, you, I tell people all the time, like, cause people feels like this chicken egg situation of yeah. you say one of the things that you need in order to get booked is it helps to have a demo video. And people are like, well, how do you get bookings if you don't have a video and how do you get footage if you don't speak anywhere? I was like, well, one of the things you could do and I've seen people do it is you could speak to an empty room and that work. It feels awkward for you, but when you're watching a video, you don't know, like you can't tell. So, okay. So that's exactly what you did in the yeah. beginning. Yeah. That, but because you changed I outfits had, too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's in the awesome. same filming set. Yeah. Yeah. Changed outfits. And then we changed camera angles to make it look like a different room. That's and true. because I had one video at that time that showed the audience and showed me, but I figured even the fake shots were going to show my passion. They were going to show more about the topic. They were going to show that I'm can articulate myself. So I think that for someone hiring, they do just want to get the vibe of a person and see if that's going to be a fit for their culture. So I didn't feel too bad about it. I mean, in general, I'm very straight laced. I don't like to lie and I don't like to mislead in any way, but we have to start somewhere, you know, we have, and then I even, I don't think it's as ideal as having footage in front of large audiences, but I've even in the past included videos on my page that are video interviews or me speaking to the camera, because all of that just helps add color right. to someone who's potentially going to hire you. Yeah, totally makes sense. And I would even say, I don't think it's necessarily even lying or misleading. It's, it's the thing of if you have never spoken before in front of other humans and you're trying to pretend like you have, well, that's one thing, right? But you have, you've done speaking. I just don't have any footage of it in the same way that I remember like when my wife and I got married, we had the wedding, we had the ceremony, and then we went back and we reenacted things to get the best 
picture, which apparently you're supposed <laughs> to do, great. you know, right? So we're doing it. We're, we're saying our vows there. Well, we already said our vows an hour ago. I don't want to do it again, but you're doing it again just for, like you said, just for the, the promo material, the marketing, whether it's pictures or video or whatever. So you're not showing something that you haven't done before. You're just, you're, you're doing a, you know, a, a recreation, a reenactment of it again, primarily for that, the, the marketing purposes. So I think that's totally legit. And in the beginning, I'm all for doing these gigs for exposure. I think now we see people kind of um, shirk them a lot, like, oh, it's just for exposure. But in the beginning, if you don't have a speaking reel or testimonials, that's really valuable to go do an event. You can even ask if you can bring your own videographer if they're not recording and get testimonials and that that's, that's tremendously valuable. And if just collecting that stuff for, let's say, a year for someone who this is a side hustle... Well, that could earn you tens of thousands of dollars the following year. So it's actually not for nothing. And when I was starting out, my goal was to double my rate every time, every gig. So in the beginning, I spoke for free. Then my first gig was 500. Then the next time someone asked me, I would tell them it was 1,000. That was helpful for my own confidence in addition to whatever my market rate was because I actually didn't want to come out the gate and try and go from zero to 10K. Right, right that was not going to work for me. So, and then someone asked again, okay, now the rate was 2000. And one thing I tell speakers starting out is don't be afraid to negotiate. Don't be afraid to get a no. Most people are not going to say that's way too high and never speak to you again. They'll usually say that's out of our budget. And you say, okay, what is within your budget? And so even the times where I put out a fee that was really scary to me, like still I have yet to get 10k for a gig or just 10,000 outright. But I'll always try. I mean, there are times where I'll still throw it out and I'll wait for them to tell me, "Sorry, our budget's $500." Mm-hmm. And then I'll look at, "Well, who's the audience? Where's the gig?" I do something in New York called for cancer and careers and they pay a $500 honorarium, but they give the most epic beauty bag because oh, it's yeah. sponsored by the company. And I'm happy to do it. It's in New York. It's for a great like cause an audience and I get these cool little perks. So uh, it's also not to say you can't negotiate and find what's going to work for you kind of regardless of the fee. Yeah, totally. Totally would uh, echo that. Okay. I'm I'm curious. Let's talk about the the book for a second. So you got pivot that's, uh, that's coming out. It's going to be out by the time people are listening to this. So why don't you give us a quick nutshell on what the book is. And we're going to talk about how this really applies to speakers. Pivot is a method and a mindset to map your next move. Essentially, the message of the book is pivot is the new normal. We're not going through a midlife and quarter life crisis anymore. We're doing this every few years. And so if change is the only constant, let's get better at it. It was bugging me that that so many of us smart people and motivated and hungry to make an impact are kind of spinning our wheels every few yeah. years. Like, who am I? What's next? And so the book outlines a four-stage process for anyone to pivot in their career, in their role, or in their business. And it can be applied to the goal of becoming a public speaker as well. And the crux of it is double down on what's already working to shift methodically into what's next. And so when it comes to getting speaking gigs, it's looking at what has worked best? Who has already hired me? Where have most of my clients already come from? And really unpacking that and then doubling down on that. I dig it. Okay, let's dig into it a little more. So we've got, uh, if I'm listening to this going like, okay, I've done a handful of gigs and it's fun and I like doing it and I get paid a little bit here and there. Uh, I would like to do more of it. I would even, I'm intrigued in making this my full-time gig, but to go from my, you know, I spoke a couple times for 500 bucks or for free or, you know, $1,000 to making this my full-time income, 
that's a big leap, uh, especially when I have to eat and live indoors. And I personally, I have three girls that eat a ridiculous amount of food. And so I have all these just responsibilities. So how do you start to make this transition? Because part of the challenge with speaking, as you know, there's some things you can do like on nights and weekends and kind of building the business. But at the same time, the nature of speaking requires that I'm typically having to leave and go somewhere. And so uh, may it starts, may start to interfere with my job, you know? So how do I make that transition and how do I, how do I just navigate? I'm trying to build something, but I also have to keep a roof, roof over my head and just live practically at the same time. Yes. Think like a basketball player. So this is kind of what first sparked my thoughts for the book, which is the basketball player, when they stop dribbling, one foot is firmly root, rounded in, uh, round two words at once. It's firmly rooted in the floor. It's grounded. And once they are grounded in that plant foot, they can look for passing options with their other foot. They're scant. So they can scan with their pivot foot. Same thing holds true for speaking and for where every, everyone who's listening to this, where you want to be a year from now. So part of planting is not just looking at what's already working and what are your strengths as a speaker and who are your favorite audiences and do you like traveling or not? I mean, every speaker is so different. Planting and really getting grounded is also about what does success look like a year from now? The biggest mistake that I see pivoters make is focusing too much on what they don't want or what they're afraid of and not plugging their destination into the maps app. Like you've got to say, even if you don't know the specifics of how you'll get there, what success looks like. So great. I mean, you brought up some great examples a year from now, my dream, I would love to be earning 20 K a pop from one gig a month. That is so different from a speaker who wants to be on the road half the days of the year and, and doesn't care as much about the fee. Now I put my vision out to share that, like, who knows if I'll ever get this fee. I really don't know, but I still hold the can. I still light the candle for this vision because essentially you can unpack the values within it. So for you, one of your values is family and time at home. You, you as a speaker may also have a one-year vision that involves fewer gigs for greater income. And then maybe everything else is kind of nice to have. Um, so for every speaker, I would say, those of you listening, really think about what resonates with you. What do you value and how will that manifest in terms of your speaking career a year from now? And that can be what you want to be earning, who you want to be talking to, what kind of impact do you want to make? If you want to become a recognized speaker, for what? If you were to land a TED Talk and knew it would impact a million people, what would you talk about? This vision piece is so important and a lot of people skip it because it's hard and it makes us scared. But the part of the challenge is like you don't necessarily know like what that, how that might play out, you know? So like right. right now, if I'm, if I'm listening, going like, okay, I want, my vision is I want to do a hundred gigs a year. And right now I'm doing three, but I don't know what a hundred gig and how that's going to feel or how that's going to affect my life. So how do we kind of balance the, yes, I have a vision. I have some idea of where I'm going, but I also have no idea what it's going to look like when I arrive. And yeah. if that's somewhere where I even want to be. Well, that's where the next two stages come in. So once you've planted, and I really am glad you brought that up because a mistake a lot of people make is worrying about the how too early. So they kind of don't ever even build out the vision and they start kind of poking holes in it with how, how, how. And a lot of us know when you've told friends and family, maybe you say to a friend or family member, 
I want to be a professional speaker. And they say, how are you going to earn a living? How are you going to, you know, so the hows can actually come in too early. The next stage after planting is scan. This is where you look for people, skills, and opportunities. People who, what speakers do you admire? Whose career do you like the balance of what they're doing? I remember looking toward people like Daniel Pink and Malcolm Gladwell. I really liked that they led with big idea books and then built speaking around it. Whereas another speaker might admire the person who is on the college circuit a hundred days out of the year or some, some other circuit like that. Scott Stratton is like the most incredible. I mean, he, he does speaking as his only source of income. I think he earned a million dollars last year and it's incredible. So it's just very different. So scanning is who's doing what you want to do. Who can you talk to, especially in speaking? I use a term in the book called drafting, which is connect with other speakers in your niche where if they get jobs that are below their pay grade or they don't have the interest or time to take it, be on their radar so that they can recommend you for those gigs. And they're usually thrilled to do that. And then you'll do the same for people in the future. And then the third stage is pilot. Okay, That's hang on. Small I want to talk about that second, okay. the second, because I yeah, think yeah. I so a thousand percent agree with this. I preach this all the time that sometimes we're just like, oh, I'm just going to try to figure it out as I go. It's like, find a speaker who is doing what you want to do, yeah. doing it in a similar way. Cause here's the thing about speaking is you can use it a lot of different ways. Like you mentioned, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, Daniel Pink, their model, like you said, is more of an author who happens to do some speaking. Whereas like you mentioned, Scott, who's been on the show is someone who does more speaking and you know, has got a book from time to time, but he just like, I just want to speak. And he loves that yeah. lifestyle. There's people that we both know who do, you know, five events a year. That's all they want to do. And they've got a number of other projects going. So it can look so many different ways. So it's like, it's difficult to know what that might look like, but just finding someone who's doing something similar to be like, ah, that's it. I I feel like I know it when I see it, that they're doing it for the type of audience that I want to speak to, the types of events, the topic, the way that they're building their business, like it all, that's really what you're looking for. Cause it just kind of proves like, okay, this is a thing versus like, I want to, you know, speak about knitting scarves for kittens, yet I can't find anyone. <laughs> That's a red flag, you know? So finding someone who's doing something similar, I a thousand percent agree with that. All right, yes, carry on. Absolutely. It's, and it's like that hot or colder game we used to play as kids where you hide something around the house. And yeah. then I don't know if you had siblings, but then you, as they're looking, you say hotter, hotter, on fire, right. colder, colder, freezing. And so as you interact with and look and listen to other speakers and particularly their business models, like you said, it's like, what do you get? What's the vibe in your body? Is it hotter, hotter, hot, hot, hot on fire? Or is it cold, colder, colder? Like when I think about having to travel and be away from New York, my love, you know, for more than half the year, I get abs. I just cringe. Like there's no way I would not be a functional human. Yes. I'm really glad that you brought that up. And I will also highlight the point that you don't always have to know these people personally in order to benefit from modeling after them. And I also think we, we I don't really buy the, the thing of like, get a mentor. Cause I think it's super awkward to just try and go up to someone and ask nope. them to be your mentor. But I think it's so important to kind of like earn your way to people's respect as well. So I kind of know when I'm reaching, you know, and I try not to be too self-conscious about this, but I try to be aware of what level am I at? And I sort of try and kind of connect with people maybe at my level or one above, let's say, but I'm not, I didn't shoot for like, Hey, let me get Scott Stratton on the phone from day one of my speaking career. I kind of waited to build up my expertise and my value. And I always want to reach out to people when I feel I can add as much value for them, maybe not right away, but like 
soon to follow. And so I think part of it is scaling your outreach in that sense as well. And you're always going to have aspirational people. And Hey, as I said, in dumb and dumber, it's like, so you're saying there's a chance, you know, I'm not telling you don't ever reach out to them, but go for a range of different level speakers because you can learn so much from the ones just above you. And they're probably the ones that would be able to pass you gigs the most readily. Yeah, totally would agree with that. The the mentoring thing, especially of just reaching out to people, especially people that may be like way ahead of you, that typically doesn't work really well, you know? So saying like, okay, I want to be a speaker. So let's check with Tony Robbins. Let's see what Tony's up to these days and see if he wants to throw me a bone. <laughs> yeah. Like that just doesn't work, you know? Yeah. So again, like you right. said, recognizing where you're at, who's on your level in your career and just kind of where you're at in business, but then also maybe who's a step or two, not light years ahead of you, but who's in the same ballpark that is extremely effective. Totally would agree with that. Yes. All right, awesome. So, we go, where was, so that's the scaling piece? That's scan. Yeah, that's scan for people, skills and opportunities. So in some cases as a speaker, you've got to close the gap. All right, I am here and I want to be at my... 20K, one gig a month dream. All right, well, what skills do I need to close that gap? And how am I going to get there? So there is a strategic piece here about, for some, it might be presentation skills. For others, it's about thought leadership and platform. For others still, it's exposure. We, We don't know. It's different for everybody, but looking at what skills do you need to bolster? Okay, and then pilot. This is where it gets fun. Pilot is about running small experiments and taking the pressure off to go from zero to 60 overnight. So as you said, you don't know if you would like being on the road so much or this fee or that fee. I see every single speaking gig as a pilot in itself, which is, did I like traveling here? Did I enjoy the audience? Did I enjoy the format, the size, piloting within my presentation, piloting within my presentation skills? Maybe I'm piloting my fee. Maybe I'm piloting my intake and outtake process, kind of what happens before and after. There is so much to see as an experiment with every gig. And, and then at the macro level of the speaking as a part of the business. So for some speaking itself is a pilot and they have other business pilots running concurrently and think of it like racehorses at a starting gate. We don't know yet which one is going to really take off for some that speaking is done through online webinars. And that is like the racehorse that takes off for others. They love in person. And so they start organizing their own events and workshops for others. Still, I started podcasting as well a year ago. I had no idea how much I was going to love it. It shocked the hell out of me. I now would podcast even if I had zero people listening. (laughs) And I didn't know that it started as a scrappy pilot, right? Just like hack together files for SoundCloud. And so, yeah, those are pilots and, and anybody can plant scan pilot over and over and over until either a clear winner emerges or you're getting momentum. And so the fourth stage is launch, which is like, if someone's going to quit their job to like launch a business, that's a bigger move. But especially with the speaking career, I really think the pivot itself, once you become better at this process, the pivot points aren't so sharp and jarring and traumatic. Mm -hmm. Instead, you're constantly testing and experimenting. And so Grant, your example of what if it's a year out and you get to that vision and you hate it? Well, ideally through this lens for every gig, you're looking, you're going back to the plant stage. What worked? What did I like? What do I want next? 
Yeah, I really like the pilot analogy there because, again, sometimes we just you just don't know. You don't know in terms of format. I, I know for me personally, yeah. I'm really good whenever I do like a 45 or 60 minute keynote or workshop. I don't like doing all day stuff. Like that is just draining to me. I prefer big crowds. I don't like doing something where it's just a small little audience. But there's plenty of people I know who want, I want to work with 10 people for five days. That sounds miserable to me right. as a speaker. But I know there's plenty <laughs> of people who would absolutely love that. I would prefer, you know, uh, doing a keynote for a thousand people in a conference type of setting but there's other people who are like that sounds horrible so but you again like you said you just don't know until you it's a lot of just educated guesses not just in terms of format but even like what you talk about the audience yeah. there may be times where i you know I, I try to talk and you're like that didn't work let's never do that again right. and sometimes like that, right. was, that was really fun we tried something different and it worked let's do more of that thing but it's all it seems like it's just a lot of educated guesses and and just doing the best with what you know at that point. One of the things I say a lot, I, I believe, and you tell me what you think is, I feel like intuition is really, really undervalued. Like just paying attention to what, I think this is what's going to work and typically it may play out like that. And sometimes you're way off, but I think that just paying attention to, I think I think I would like this over that. Well, then let's try option A. If that seems to be just in your gut, what you think was, is going to resonate more with you, just start with with that. 100% yes. I've been doing coaching for eight years. Every time, I mean, every time a client says to me, I don't know. And I say, well, what does your gut say? Boom. Right. Answers come up. I agree 100%. I think intuition is one of our most untapped resources, especially for solopreneurs. Like your body is your business, how you treat it, how you tune into it, the wisdom that you can get. When I interviewed people for the book, and I love, don't get me wrong. I love systems and methodology and practical, tactical tips. What I do, but everyone I spoke with ultimately at the end of the day, when they, how did they know when they were ready to pivot? I just knew my gut told me, and yes, there are ways we can work toward that, but same. And even within a presentation deck, you can do the pivot method. So like, like you said, what worked, what worked best, you know, the vision for the deck, what's the impact I want to have. And usually there's a gap between how that one session went and the impact that you do want. Okay. Scan, what would help me close this gap? What would help me bump this up even more? And so, yeah, I'm with you. I think intuition is such a huge tool and that mindset of just continual improvement really helps instead of one of the biggest mistakes I see pivoters make is just shooting too far. The pivot is too sharp. It's too far outside of where they currently are. And so they get paralyzed and they just end up kind of in the panic zone doing nothing. Well, kind of like even the analogy you made at the beginning with the basketball player that once you plant your foot, there's only a certain radius that you can kind of cover there. You can't go massive gaps for it because you're, you have a foot that is planted there, you know? So just paying yes. attention to where, what that radius looks like versus making these, these huge gaps of, I spoke once, this is awesome. Let's quit my job and hopefully become a, a full-time speaker on Monday. Like you can't do that. That's too big of a leap. That's, that's traveling and basketball. So just keeping that foot planted and I'm going to go as far as that next foot will, will, will take me. Yeah. And for me, I mean, Two years after Life After College came out, I kind of, part of the reasons I hit my business crisis and I essentially got down to zero financially was because I was rejecting. I was like, oh, I don't, I'm sick of Life After College. I don't want to talk about this forever. I got grumpy about it. And yet I didn't have my next thing lined up. And that was very stressful because this time I didn't have a steady paycheck to fund this exploration. And so 
only when it was now two weeks away and I didn't have the money to pay my rent, I finally was hitting my head against the wall. Like I'm a grown adult. There is no excuse for this. How can I possibly be in this position? I've always been very responsible financially. And I realized I am ignoring what got me here. What has paid the bills so far? Talking about my career in the age of the app. People have hired me. I have a book. I have done speaking gigs just because I don't want to do them forever. I also can't just reject them outright overnight and expect the next wave of demand to suddenly be upon me. And here we are now, five years after the book came out. And still, I would say I'm in between big ideas. And once Pivot is out, I trust, I, I see it like buying serendipity lottery tickets. Like, I don't know who's going to reach out and be interested, but I know I'll have a better shot than from that point where I wasn't grounded in what was already working. So basically using the basketball player, the ground, the planted foot is so important for stability rather than like running around the basketball court, like a drunk bee or something. A drunk bee. <laughs> <laughs> But even this whole, and you kind of touched on it there, the concept of pivoting can apply in so many different ways when I'm going from zero speaking career to starting a speaking career, or if I'm in the speaking career right now and I want to, you know, I was in a spot a couple years ago where I was doing a lot of events and I wanted to cut back and reduce the number yeah. of speaking gigs that I was doing. Or if you're in the spot of going, I want to keep doing the same number of gigs that I'm doing, but I want to talk on a totally different unrelated topic or to a totally different audience that I'm not known in. And so all of those are just those pivot moments. So great stuff. All right. So if we've talked about the book. Where can people find it? Where can we pick it up? When is it out? Give us all that stuff. It's out as of September 6th. It's online anywhere books are sold and your local bookstores, of course, which I love. But you can learn more about the book at pivotmethod.com. And I also have a great team of pivot coaches if people want personalized one-on-one -on -one support. And that's at pivotmethod.com slash coaching. I'm online at jennyblake.me and the Pivot Podcast is uh, anywhere you listen to casts. So we'd love to keep in touch and hear from all of you. Awesome. Well, Jenny, thanks for the time. Appreciate you. Cool. Thank you so much, Grant. Thanks for having me and big thanks to everybody for listening. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Miss Jenny Blake. You definitely want to pick up her new book, Pivot, which is out today. You're going to want to get that. Don't don't wait around for that, my friends. That's a great book. And uh, like I said, I've had a, a chance to uh, check out a preview copy of it. Really, really solid stuff. And I think this is going to help a lot of people. So definitely check that out. Hey, also, let me remind you again, if you haven't already, definitely pick up your, your ticket, your free ticket for the Speaker Lab Summit by going over to thespeakerlabsummit.com. Again, thespeakerlabsummit.com to pick up your free pass for the uh, the virtual summit that we're going to be having. We've got over 40 speakers sharing some of their best strategies, tactics about how to build and grow a speaking business. So don't want you to miss out on that. Again, pick up your free ticket by going over to thespeakerlabsummit.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up to episode 95. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome. Awesome.